It's showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime! It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, as always, Show. Thank you so much for listening. And we are finally in the post-Oscar era of 2021, which is really exciting, right? I think uh, I'm endeavoring going forward to uh, not talk about the Oscars for some time because, I mean, who knows what award season is going to look like in 2021 because of how April was the date that the Oscars were pushed back to this year. So, you know, there was no real, like, cool-off period in that in that period kind of, like, at the end of February to, I guess, in a normal year, the beginning of May because the beginning of May, end of April, beginning of May is when the blockbuster season starts. But, you know, theaters aren't still fully reopened anywhere. So what will award season look like? I have no idea. But I do want to avoid talking about awards for some time. So let's say TIFF. I think TIFF, which is usually the first two weeks of September, let's say TIFF is might, might be the good, the best time to maybe re-engage in the awards conversation because, you know, usually TIFF is there's some kind of awards chatter going on at that time. So, and I mean, I, I live in Toronto, so we're recording here. We can, we're lucky enough to, you know, see what it will be like at TIFF this year. And from, from what I can tell, uh, it'll be largely in person, right? They're going to be gearing up to get people back, butts back in the seats uh, in a big way, I would imagine. And um, I am for sure going to apply. Who knows if I get uh, accredited this year. But uh, I'm very happy to say, I'm very privileged to say, I should say, that uh, I have my first shot of the vaccine, which is really exciting. And again, I know, super, super huge privilege. I hope everyone who wants a vaccine can get their vaccine uh, as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, I was looking, they book you for your second appointment here in Toronto uh, when you get your shot. So I already have my appointment for the second shot. And right now, because they always say, I think they've been saying in the news and so on, that two weeks after the first, after the second shot is when you are considered to be like, you know, quote unquote, fully vaccinated. So if that is the case, that means that I will be fully vaccinated, funnily enough, I think for TIFF. Which is kind of crazy to think. It's, I mean, it'll be weird, weird to in my mind to picture the first movie after Sonic the Hedgehog, if you remember that conversation with Quentin. Uh, the first movie I will have seen since Sonic the Hedgehog potentially being at TIFF. I mean, it could, that that that's really exciting. It's an exciting prospect in my head because you guys know if you're listening to this podcast, you also love movies. So I cannot wait to get my butt back in the seat inside a movie theater, even if it's TIFF, with a bunch of stuffy other film journalists, people in the industry. I don't care. I want to see a movie at TIFF in person this year. So that's my goal. That's the goal, okay? I'll be, I will be married by then. I will have two <laughs> vaccine shots. Hopefully everything, you know, you know, in The Simpsons, like everything's coming up, Melhouse, everything's coming up, show. We, we hope, right? So we hope that between now and at the end of August, beginning of September, things don't go, uh, don't take, uh, don't, don't, go, don't go pear-shaped, let's say, right? Don't take a turn for the worst. So we'll keep our fingers crossed, and I keep my fingers crossed for any of you who are listening, if you are in similar circumstances, or worse circumstances, certainly. So I hope, uh, I hope you guys are all staying safe. For this episode of the podcast, however, um, because we're avoiding talking about anything, you know, super intense, uh, I wanted to do an action movie episode. And I think this mo- this episode is going to be fun because all of the movies on this episode are action movies, right? We're going to talk about Nobody. Uh, we're going to talk about the new Mortal Kombat movie. And we're going to talk about the latest Tom Clancy, uh, I guess, attempt at an adaptation without remorse all different, very different action movies, I gotta say. And look, I, I'll say this as well. If you've listened to this podcast in the past, you know that I love action movies. I will talk about 
any kind of action movie. It doesn't matter if there are A-list action stars in them. doesn't matter if they're C or D-tier movies. doesn't matter if they're not in English. doesn't matter if they're in French or if they're Indonesian or they're from Hong Kong. or they're. I love action movies. I will watch any kind of action movies. Actually, there's one that I think is called Paper Tigers. I've been seeing some people tweet about. That one looks pretty interesting. Maybe we'll get that in a future episode. right? I just Look, I love action movies. And I think it'll be fun to discuss uh, these different kinds of action movies. So again, nobody, uh, Mortal Kombat, the 2021 Mortal Kombat, I guess I should say. Uh, maybe we'll do a, a look back on the original, quote-unquote original one from the 90s at some point. But either way, the 2021 version of Mortal Kombat, and like I said, uh, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Bob Odenkirk stars in Nobody. But I'm just a soul whose intentions are When I first saw the trailer for Nobody uh, on YouTube, I initially thought it was a joke, right? Like, not in the sense that it wasn't a real movie not going to get made, but kind of that it was a spoof, right? Or like a satire on something else because, I mean, look, Bob Odenkirk was the star, right? And then I watched the trailer, and then I realized that they actually are trying to sell you on the idea that Bob Odenkirk, from Mr. Show and, of course, Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul, is uh, as, a, as an action star, right? They're trying to sell you uh, on him as an old man action star, right? And I guess, look, Taken did it. Uh, well, you know, actually, now that I say Taken, I was going to think of a whole bunch of other Liam Neeson <laughs> movies because he's like the, the poster child for, uh, for poster, poster old man, I guess I should say, for, for old man action stars, right? I guess Kevin Costner has done it a couple times. I think Michael Keaton tried it a little bit, right? Um, and, and now Bob Odenkirk... And you know what, I, I gotta say, if my, and if you only need one takeaway from this review, it's it's really that I think I did buy him as an action star. Isn't that funny? Like, I think I actually, in the end, believed, after watching Nobody, that Bob Odenkirk could play what he referred to himself as an auditor for all the, he referred to himself as an auditor for all of the three-letter agencies, right? So, I mean, like, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA... Whatever else, right? In Canada, we have CSIS, so perhaps that wouldn't work. That's a four-letter agency. And the Mounties, I don't even know if they have a... Do they have a, an abbreviation? That's a good question. I don't think so, actually. I think it's just the Mounted Police, right? So maybe the CMP, the Canadian Mounted Police? I have, I truly have no idea. But either way, clearly they're referring to the American organizations. And uh, yeah, because he refers to himself as an auditor because he's the last person you'd ever want to see at your door. And as a quick aside, as someone who worked for a major bank in this country uh, in the audit department, he's totally right. No one likes auditors. No one wants to see auditors because it means something has gone terribly awry. Either that or like there's the suspicions that something has gone terribly awry. And if there is, oh boy, you're going to get sorted out real quick. Real quick by the auditors, right? So, look, I appreciate I appreciate the discussion. I I don't work there anymore. I'm, I'm curious what my former coworkers think. I should I should text one of them. Just be like, hey, did you guys see nobody? What do you think of this depiction of auditors? <laughs> I I bet knowing them, I bet they get a kick out of it. But I digress. Uh, nobody, Bob Odenkirk. The only other two like notable people in this movie, I would say, are Christopher Lloyd. And yes, that that Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future, right? Great Scott! That Christopher Lloyd, and, and Clue, certainly, where he played played uh, Professor Plum. But uh, Christopher Lloyd, as uh, I, I want to say his name was Hutch Mansell, right? I think it was Hutch. I was going to say Butch, but it's Hutch. 
I want to say, and Mansell. Um, Connie Nielsen is his wife. Christopher Lloyd is his father, and Riza is his adopted brother. It was funny. I heard his voice. Like you don't see Riza until the very end of the movie. You just hear like whenever they have conversations, they kind of had conversations via this like I guess it's like some kind of spy radio or something, right? They just talk to each other, and uh, so you hear Riza. I'm like, man. Where is that? Why is that voice so friggin' familiar? And then you see him. I'm like, oh, it's Riza from Wu Tang, right? Which is, well, I gotta say, it was pretty funny. Um, but either way, yes, the the main characters are Connie Nelson's barely in the movie, right? So it's a she's like the kind of like wife who I guess it's implied she knew about his past, but just figured he had left it all behind. Um, and they have kids now, and he's, like, adjusting to being, uh, not, not necessarily a married man, but, like, the domestic life, right? And, yeah, Christopher Lloyd is the father in a retirement home, and Riza is his kind of other, I assume, assassin brother. And, look, I mean, by and large, not a, not enough action in Nobody, I would say, right? Like, I think the trailers kind of capture parts of all the major action, action sequences, um, the villain is, like, a pretty generic Russian bad guy. He, like, fun, you know, he's kind of like the Russian Le Chiffre from, like, Casino Royale, right? He's, like, the, except not nearly as scary or intimidating as Mads Mikkelsen. He's, like, like I said, generic mob Russian boss, you know, safeguards the rest of the Russian mob's money. And uh, Hutch goes in and burns it all because because he can, and that sparks the rest of the fight. I don't know, whatever. It is, the, honestly, the plot, the details are, are not that important because it's really just a vehicle for you to watch Bob Odenkirk, Christopher Lloyd, and Rizzo blow shit up. Um, and look, it, it succeeds there, right? I will say, um, kind of like kind of like John Wick in the sense that the action is kind of spurred into happening uh, I was going to say spurred to action because but they can't say action, spurred to action. But uh, uh, it, it, it all happens, essentially, because of a random coinkydink, basically, right? Like, Hutch is home one day, and his house is broken into by two desperate criminals who are just looking for cash. They break into the wrong house, and uh, Hutch, like, they get chased off, and... You know, he, he he doesn't take a swing at the person with a gun because he sees the gun isn't loaded. But, of course, no one else sees that because they're not some kind of special ops former soldier or whatever, right? And they all lose their respect for him, and everyone finds out. And I guess, like, in an effort to regain some control of his life, he tracks them down. And, you know, it kind of spirals out of control from there because on his way back from tracking them down, he sees these four hooligans getting on a bus, haven't used that word in a long time, a hot minute, right, hooligans, but he tracks, he kind of runs into these guys on a bus, and he beats the absolute living piss out of these guys, and turns out one of these guys is the brother of the Russian mob guy, and then that kind of spurs all the, so kind of like John Wick, right, just like how uh, Keanu Reeves meets Alfie Allen at a gas station, he kind of mouths off, they follow him home because he has a sweet car, they kill the dog, and that spurs John Wick back into action, right, and I'm making the comparisons to John Wick because I think it was the director of this movie is like an alumni of the John Wick franchise, right? Much like the director of Atomic Blonde with Charlie Theron is also an alumni of the John Wick franchise. And frankly, if you were to tell me that both Atomic Blonde and Nobody are are like uh, like how do we want to say this? Like a sidequel, right? Alternate prequels, or frankly, just straight up set in the John Wick universe, I would believe you. And and again. Maybe they're setting it up for that. Maybe it's like a backdoor way into creating like the John Wick CU, the JWCU perhaps, because we know the John Wick movies have created like such a rich expanded universe, let's say, of lore when it comes to the Assassins and the Continental and there's the Continental TV show that's coming out, right? So maybe it'll all be related. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is its own self-contained thing. 
But uh, in my head canon, I believe that uh, Hutch Mansell is a character in the John Wick universe. But either way, look, it, I mean, again, like to go back to the beginning of the review, it's about you buying Bob Odenkirk as a badass action hero. And I think I do. I got to say, I think I do. He, he handles the, the choreography relatively well, and most of it's gunplay. You kind of you see it when he fights the four younger guys on the bus. He gets his ass handed to him, but as the fight goes on, he becomes like more and more competent. So clearly a guy who's like shaking off the rust. And by the time you get to the very end of the movie, and he's like you know doing all the crazy stuff in the warehouse and setting like the home alone of, uh, of killing bad guys, basically, uh, you know, you believe that too. I will say it's a little too neat because... Uh, Christopher Lloyd, again, as his father and Riz as his adoptive brother, you know, they they come to his rescue, basically. And the three of them, the Mansell family, I guess, fight off the, uh, the, 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 you know, nameless goons of the Russian mob. And like they, they don't miss once. Like, don't get me wrong. It was satisfying. It's funny to see Christopher Lloyd smirk at the camera and fire a shotgun or, you know, Bob Odenkirk fire pistols into exploding, you know, like a like Home Alone style, like rebar flying through the air and stuff. It's satisfying to watch Riza like no scope three guys in a row and then use the ro- the recoil from the like the like I guess the barrel of the gun or whatever to hit another guy. Like it's all cool, but because they just don't miss at any point, it's kind of like ah okay, like do I buy this? Do I entirely buy this? Right, but. Uh, I mean, ultimately, I guess it doesn't really matter because you really are in this, like I said, to watch the three of them kill a bunch of dumb idiots, and they do that, and they they, they accomplish that with aplomb, let's say, right? So I, I guess the idea is that nobody kind of does accomplish what it sets out to do, even if the pacing is a little off, right? Not a lot of action in the first half, a little too much of setting things up in the in the first half, right? Um, I want to say uh, as well... Not a lot of other characters in the movie. It moves a little slowly sometimes, even though the action is ultimately, I think, worth it. It's it's a mixed bag, right? It's a bit of a mixed bag. It's a, look, I'll put it this way. If John Wick is the majors when it comes to new gun-fu action movies, like the new wave of these kinds of action movies, if they're the majors, and if Atomic Blonde is probably like a slightly less good major league team right like if the if john wick are the dodgers and uh, now i'm really getting to the weeds here if you're not a baseball fan so i apologize for this but if uh if john wick are the dodgers and like atomic blonde are like i don't know the blue jays let's say then nobody is like the the double a team not even the triple a team the double a team in the minors right not quite there glimpses of things that are good but not quite as good as you want not yet Maybe, right? But I, I will say it's not because of Bob Odenkirk. It's just the way the story was told, I think, kind of let the characters down a little bit. But ultimately, it's still, it's a, it was an entertaining watch, if ultimately a little bit forgettable. Also, now that I think about it, I think the director actually was not the alum. I think it was the producer of the movie was the alum from uh, the John Wick series. I believe the director, now that I, be- I think about it again, off the top of my head here, um, was the guy who directed... Uh, Hardcore Henry, if you remember that movie, that first-person perspective movie from a couple of years ago, um, and it was kind of filmed like a almost like you're watching live-action Call of Duty, right? So, I, anyways, I dig. It's not really important, right? It just, I just came to me as I am thinking about it. But like I said, I think uh, nobody, a little forgettable, but a, a fine action movie for some random weeknight. Although I would, I paid a uh, full price to rent this one on Cineplex Store here in Canada. So if you're waiting to watch it, it's not so good that you can't 
can't wait to watch it. So maybe, you know, wait for it to come out on at a cheaper price or, you know, on some deal because, yeah, it's it's fine. It's a fine action movie, but no, no, no John Wick, not quite yet. The next film up here is, of course, Mortal Kombat. And if you remember, uh, this is not the first time the the eponymous Mortal Kombat, the eponymous fighting series, has been uh, attempted to be adapted for the big screen. There was an original adaptation, and uh, I'm not sure when it was, and I'm not going to look it up, but uh, I want to say it was in the mid-90s. And look, I mean, eh, a cult classic, I would say, right? A lot of people like to re- refer to that and use GIFs from it on social media and so on. But yeah, I don't. it's not like it's great right i mean it's a fun silly movie and i'll say this the 2021 version is largely the same just with a lot better special effects right i mean it's an interesting film certainly but uh yeah it's it's just funny how many it's funny how different it is and also how similar it is to the original so why don't we talk a little bit about it here's the review for the 2021 version of mortal kombat So Mortal Kombat, the movie, 2021 version of Mortal Kombat, or I guess I should say Mortal Kombat, because they don't actually say this in the actual movie. Um, You know, you get like the flawless victory or the finish him or uh, Kano wins and stuff like that. But I don't actually think they ever scream the Mortal Kombat like they do in the song. Um, It's possible I missed it. So if you watch this movie as well and I just missed it, please let me know. Uh, but uh, I just I I always that's what I think of when I think of Mortal Kombat. I think of like some of the characters certainly, but I think of the song, uh, you know, bum, 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 I, more than I think anything else. And uh, I I gotta say it's a I was a little bummed they didn't use it, but I mean, what are you gonna do? It's not exactly like a huge thing that takes away from your enjoyment of this movie. And look, if you're looking for the the Twitter length review of this film, it is simply that Mortal Kombat is okay. Right, I, I've seen some people seeing, saying that this is one of the better video game movie adaptations ever, and I kind of disagree because, like, I, well, I guess it's what what are you what are you wanting out of a video game? Do you want something that's faithful to the the source material? Do you want a good movie and and then it like tells a good story, right? Because the Mortal Kombat is is one of those things, and it's not the second, right? It's not the latter. It is. I think it is relatively faithful to the video game itself, right? Because let's be real, uh, even though there is lore and rich kind of backgrounds for each of these characters, when you think of Mortal Kombat, you think of selecting a character from a menu, and your your partner or the computer selecting a character as well, selecting your stage, and often I think it was just random, and then you fight. That's it. You fight, and then you get the fatalities and the finish him and your lives and so on, right? It's a video game. It's a fighting video game, right? And so I, I think in that respect... With the little fun things about, like, the training sequence where you see Liu Kang fight Kano and Kano, you know, keeps sweeping the leg and he keeps jumping up and down and then Kano says, oh, well, is that the only move you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a, it's a question I've asked my friends who have played the original. And I'll be, I'll be honest, right off the hop, I've only really played extensively the first one. I think I've dabbled with the other ones because some of my cousins um, are fans of the Mortal Kombat series. But, I mean, I had a Sega Genesis growing up. That was my first ever video game console. And uh, Mortal Kombat for the Sega Genesis, alongside, I think, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I want to say, <laughs> were my uh, two first ever video games. So Mortal Kombat, I, I'm only really familiar with the original characters, right? Like Sub-Zero, Liu Kang, Scorpion, Raiden, Kano, uh, Sonya Blade, Johnny Cage. E- I think that's it, right? I think that's it. And, of course, like the Goro and the bad guys and so on, right? But 
in terms of playable characters, I'm really only familiar with the original guys. So when you have characters in this movie like Raiko and, and gosh, Natara, I think there was one. There was one Melina character. There was, oh, Cabal was the kind of, like, fallout looking guy and look i i don't know squat about those guys i'll be completely honest if you want to know if i think they are they're true to their video game counterparts i have literally never seen those guys in any video game before because the only ones i played are one two and i think i played like 10 for 10 minutes at a christmas party with my cousins a couple years ago and that's about it right so i but but again look it's it, the choreography is is okay the action is okay and the plot and narrative is frankly crap but i think i don't think you really does that really matter, right? Again, what, what are you wanting out of your video game movies, right? But I think, look, the the problems I have with this movie are twofold. One is the main character, Cole Young, who I believe is played by uh, an actor named uh, uh, Louis Tan. And I don't think this is necessarily his fault. It's just he exists, I want to say, for no other reason than to be the stand-in for the audience, right? I mean, how many times do you see that in movies, right? The ca- character is like a, a, a blank tablet, and he exists only for you to project, like, because he doesn't know Jack Squad about any of the events going on. So all the characters are explaining things to him, i.e. to you, the audience, uh, because he doesn't know anything about it, right? And that's not a problem in itself if the guy was cool or had any kind of redeeming qualities. But he is so much a blank tablet that, like, he's completely uninteresting. He has no personality. He has very little dialogue. And then even when he gets his powers, and we'll get to how they explain that all these characters having essentially superpowers in a second, when they get to that, his powers are lame. He essentially grows police batons and, and armor. Like, to put it this way, he essentially, his superpower, and as they refer to in this movie, it's Arcana, right? A-R-C-A-N-A, Arcana. Um, and that's that's on the, you have to discover your arcana through some kind of life changing event, right? So presumably Sub Zero experiences arcana before the events of the movie. You see Kano experience it off screen. You see Sonya Blade experience it. Liu Kang had already experienced his when you meet him in the movie. So like whatever, right? The arcana thing. A, a, a quick way of explaining how they just develop superpowers in the quote unquote real world, right? But I don't know, like his his arcana was that he just grows armor. He grows literal plot armor just so Goro can beat him up a little bit without him dying immediately, and then he kills Goro. Like, I, I gotta say, I went to go read some reaction to this movie after I watched it earlier, and all I could think of was, why aren't more Mortal Kombat fans upset about the fact that this lame character, Cole, kills Goro? I mean, do you, did you did any of you guys ever play those games? Goro was hard to fight, especially if you fought him as like a little kid. I don't know. It just, it just seemed kind of wrong. It seems wrong to me, I guess, but, like... Here's the thing. The movie really gets going when Jax tells Cole to go find Sonya Blade, and then she, he, he meets Sonya, and then she essentially explains what Mortal Kombat the tournament is. She explains the powers. She explains where they have to go. They fight together, like, against Reptile, I think. And all I could think of was, at the end of the movie, was, why the hell wasn't Sonya Blade the main character of this movie, right? Like, she should have been the focus of this movie. Like, she already has a built-in plot. She's already looking for fighters with, like, the dragon birthmark thingy. She has her arc built in. She wants to be a fighter in the in the tournament or whatever. The actress herself was better. And then the Cole guy. And she had, like, you know, and then at the end of the movie, they have the little, ooh, little tasty bit. 
that you wanna that you wanna consume because they're obviously gonna make this into a sequel or a franchise if they can. And uh, she's gonna find Johnny Cage. Also, if you're a Johnny Cage fan, he's not in this movie. He is, like I said, the tasty bit. Uh, but it's the perfect setup, right? I just I don't really understand why she was not the star of this movie because he sucked in every respect. And again, I don't necessarily blame that on the actor, but there's like it doesn't seem like they gave him a whole hell of a lot to work with. But like the whole plot with his wife and the kid and. I don't know, it just, it just, it was completely, completely unnecessary. Okay, so that was one thing. And my second major beef with this movie is the choreography. Because, and it was kind of disappointing, right? Because you would imagine for a movie that's based on fighting, they would, you know, like, have good choreography. And again, look, if you've seen movies, martial arts movies, let's say, action martial arts movies, right? Like, if you've seen The Raid, which I know it's unfair to compare this movie to The Raid because The Raid is probably one of the best action movies probably ever, right? Um, or The Night Comes for Us, or something like that. Like, relatively famous modern action movies. The action is continuous. There's a lot of flow to it. There's not a lot of cuts, right? Or if there are cuts, it's cuts to a point where you feel, as an audience viewing it, the impact of something happening on screen. And there's a part where, uh, I think, like, where... I want to say the first fight is, is Jack's fighting... Sub-Zero, and then even, actually, well, I guess in the main narrative of the movie, right, and I guess before that, you see Cole getting his ass handed to him as, like, some uh, some uh, crappy UFC fighter in some octagon, right, like, not a real ring, but, like, as a kind of amateur fighter, and, yeah, it's just, it cuts all around it, like, you see a blow land, and you see, like, like, cuts from different angles, guys in headlocks, and it's just, it doesn't, it's so chopped up. It's hard for you, and it's certainly hard for me, to feel the impact of any of the action going on. And it, it just felt kind of cosplay -y. I can't really explain it any better than that. It just, it didn't feel real. Whereas you watch a movie like, you know, The Raid, and you see, like, these beautiful, gorgeous, flowing action sequences instead of a million cuts during, like, I want to see Liu Kang lay a kick into Kano's face. And the simple act of Liu Kang jumping up, raising his leg, kicking Kano in the face, there are like eight cuts in there. Like, like, you, like you see a cut, a cut from one frame to another, and it's like half a second of footage before they cut away. I don't know, it's just, it's weird to explain because I, it just feels like you deserve better from a movie about fighting, right? Maybe they'll change the director for the next one. Maybe they'll get someone a little more used to filming action sequences. This is funny. I think the best action sequence of the entire movie is probably at the very beginning and the very end. And here's the thing. It's because it's about Sub-Zero and Scorpion. And that's probably the best part of this movie. I should have Maybe I should have led with this because this is by far and away the most interesting aspect of Mortal Kombat 2021, which is simply that... You know, Sub-Zero and Scorpion, played by Joe Taslim and Hiroyuki Sanada, respectively. I mean, first of all, they're probably the most famous people in this entire movie. But secondly, their story, their fight is the most compelling because, I mean, certainly because they're they're the two most popular Mortal Kombat characters. I mean, God knows I loved seeing Sub-Zero because I played with Sub-Zero all the time. It was either <laughs> Sub-Zero or Raiden I used to play with when I was a young guy. And I mean, look, Raiden, uh, as a quick aside... He doesn't do any fighting in this movie. No fighting from Raiden in this movie, which is kind of a bummer, but, I mean, again, they're setting up for multiple sequels here. But the movie kind of opens in the 1600s, and you see, like, the the present-day Bihan, i.e. Sub-Zero, fight the present-day Hanzo Hasashi, and, uh, you know, Sub-Zero. Th that fight is pretty cool. I gotta say, that fight, again, lots of cuts, lots of unnecessary cuts, but still, those guys who are, you know, they're veteran actors, and in Joe Tasm's case, 
I mean, the guy was in, we just talked about the raid. The guy was in the raid, right? He was one of the stars of that movie. So, you know, like, he's obviously an experienced fighter, and Sonata himself is also an experienced actor as well. I mean, recently we saw him in, what, Westworld and, and a whole host of other things. Remember, he was in that <laughs> that 47 Ronin movie with, uh, with Keanu Reeves. But, look, either way, their story is the most compelling. And after Sub-Zero kills Scorpion at the beginning of the movie, Sub- Scorpion is either sent to or goes willingly to hell. And I guess the idea is that his, his like lineage continues on through Cole. And there's a lot of interesting aspects they could have done. Like They could have had Scorpion come back from hell to possess Cole and make Cole, frankly, a little more interesting. And that, that, that doesn't happen. What, when, the funny thing is... Scorpion just comes back from hell, like, of his own accord, and then he and Cole fight Sub-Zero together, and all I could think of was, well, if you could do that, why don't you just do that this whole time? Like, you didn't need Cole, you could just come back and kick his ass on your own, I don't know. It just seemed kind of funny, um, and I mean, look, you, that his return meant you got the get over here, and you got to see some really cool fatality, like, you got to see the famous fatality where Scorpion takes off his mask, and he, like, sets the other guy aflame, he basically does that to Sub-Zero, and again, that fight when Sub Zero, you saw it in the trailer when he um, he like t- takes the takes Scorpion's blood and freezes it into a knife and stabs him with it. It just like it was really cool. Everything about Sub Zero and Scorpion was incredibly compelling. Except Scorpion was in this movie for what? Less than ten minutes. Sub Zero was actually in this movie for what? Less than fifteen minutes. Most of this movie is centered on Cole, which is crazy. How that's that is crazy to me. How could you possibly have a movie? That is that that is based on a franchise that sells Sub Zero and Scorpion and make a completely original character who sucks, right? Like I just I'll never understand that. But hey, maybe they're I mean not maybe based on the way this movie ended, they're they're setting you up for another movie, and uh, maybe the sequel will be good. Apparently, uh, Joe Tasm has signed on for what like four more movies. So hopefully, uh, you know what I'll say this. Hopefully, between making those movies, he can make another season of Warrior, which just got greenlit season three. So I'm really looking forward to that because he is awesome one of my favorite characters in that movie but uh he was my favorite character in this one too sub-zero and scorpion's a close second but those guys like you want it they're obviously going to get have them be do more stuff uh, because i mean they were heavily used in the marketing and all this stuff but i could i could just use more of them and less of cole and i'm hoping in between the next this and the next movie there is some kind of uh you know, like, they, they come to their senses and realize they don't really need Cole. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see who they cast for Johnny Cage as well, because, like I said, he was the tasty little bit, and, I mean, it wasn't long there, right? So I guess we'll, we'll have to see. Again, I think be, between the choreography, between the main character, I think Mortal Kombat can only be called okay. I think it can only really be called okay because of that. I think if they clean those things up for the next movie, maybe you might have a, a success on your hands, but right now, because of that... It's not that great, but either way, if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, I think there's enough fan service in here for you, but for, like, a general audience just wanting a good action movie, unfortunately, uh, not quite the uh, fatality I'm sure HBO and uh, Warner Brothers were looking for. The last film on this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast is the latest attempt at adapting a Tom Clancy story. And I mean... Gosh, there have been so many... I mean, there are just a lot of Tom Clancy books, period, right? So, as you might imagine, for a really successful author, there are probably a lot of Tom Clancy adaptations, right? So, here it is, Without Remorse, starring Michael B. Jordan. (laughs) 
When it comes to the last movie on the docket for today, we're talking about Without Remorse. Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. I think that's actually the, the full title of this movie, by the way. It's not Without Remorse. It is Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, right? So just in case you were wondering, that is what this movie is called, okay? Um, I, I haven't actually seen a ton of Tom Clancy movies. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen a couple of the ones... Remember, I remember Ben Affleck played Jack Ryan in a couple of them. And obviously Harrison Ford played Jack Ryan. Uh, and I think Chris Pine, right? I think that was one of the more recent ones with Kenneth Branagh was the villain, I think. And Keira Knightley was in that movie, I want to say. Right? So in the Ryan-verse, as I think it's referred to uh, for Tom Clancy's series of books, right? I, I admit I'm not super well-versed, okay? I'm not super well-versed in, 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 I guess, the lore of the Ryan-verse, right? I mean, it, the MCU, it is not, even though certainly it's been around for much, much, much longer than the, the, the MCU. Hell, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually they came out and said, you know what, we wanted to model things after the kind of sequential series of movies that the, the Ryan-verse did in, like, the 80s and 90s and so on. So, you know, I, I've seen uh, some of All Fears, and I've seen Clear and Present Danger, and I've seen those other movies as well, but... I don't really know much about the character Jack Ryan because I've never really read the Tom Clancy novels. Funnily enough, I used to read the Robert Ludlum novels a lot. The Robert Ludlum novels, which, of course, um, I, I would imagine not a lot of people know the other novels that Ludlum wrote. But, of course, the three most famous ones are the Jason Bourne novels, right? He's the creator of Jason Bourne. And his other non-Jason Bourne uh, novels are terrific. They're, they are brilliant. I think they are some of the best spy, uh, kind of action spy thrillers or whatever that I think I've ever read. And I, I've always wanted to see the Amatory Circle get made into a movie. I think there was some kind of rumor that Tom Cruise and Denzel Washington were going to make that into a movie like a long, long, long time ago, and that project has since been axed. But I digress. Uh, Tom Clancy and Robert Ludlum, are, I'm sure, have made up the bookshelves of people who like spy thrillers. And so here we go, we're, we're adapting without remorse into a movie. And now look, I'll say, so if you're a, if you're a fan, I can't exactly promise that I'm going to talk about the comparisons to the book because I haven't read the book. And again, like I said, I'm not familiar with it, but I guess this is supposed to be, I guess the, uh, the Iron Man, let's say, if we're going to, if we're going to continue with the MCU analogy, the Iron Man of the Ryan verse, when it comes to what they are hoping to do, I suppose. Because if you recall, this movie is available to watch at Amazon Prime, right? Or Prime Video, whatever their streaming service is called. And uh, starring Michael B. Jordan. And I mean, the, the, the Tencent review of this is simply that Michael B. Jordan is cool. He is a cool actor. I think he is, he's like sexy and cool looking. And everything he does, I feel like is imbued with a sense of like a little bit of gravitas. And I don't know if it's because I've been watching his movies since he was like on The Wire, right? Like his, his TV and movies since he was a little kid on The Wire with Idris Elba as Stringer Bell, right? I don't know if that's, the, if that's why I feel that way, but I do feel that way, okay? Without Remorse, I think largely works as like a generic action movie because Michael B. Jordan is the lead. If it was some other random guy, even if it was another A-list actor, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. So I think uh, your your mileage for this movie may vary based simply on how much you like Michael B. Jordan because he is the vehicle for which you are watching this movie. So I, I guess, but that's kind of it, right? I mean, the movie itself is, is relatively generic. Um, you know, they have some pretty cool set pieces. There's a plane set piece, uh, there's the kind of intro action sequence that you get to get to know him as a soldier, John Kelly, who later becomes John Clark. And as I understand it, John Clark is a major character in the, uh, again, the Ryan vs. canon, let's say, Ryan vs. lore. 
Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like, there are some really interesting action sequences uh, as well without the set pieces, right? Like, there's the plane crashing, as I mentioned, and there's some interesting gunfights. And, I mean, look, the villain is telegraphed the whole way through. You meet Guy Pierce, and you think, yeah, he's the villain, right? It's that guy. It's not a... Uh, it's not Jamie Bell, right? It's you know it's Guy Pierce the moment you look at him because I mean you know Guy Pierce just plays the villain in a lot of movies, but uh, I, was it Guy Pierce who was the bad guy ultimately in The Count of Monte Cristo? Was that was that Guy Pierce? Gosh, I I've, I haven't seen that movie in such a long time. I feel like it was right, a young Guy Pierce. <laughs> Anyways, I think you that's what I, it, it's telegraphed the whole way through, right? It's not there's nothing overtly remarkable about Without Remorse other than the fact that when uh, Michael B. Jordan takes off his shirt, you think to yourself, God. Shouldn't have had that burger today. Shouldn't have had that bag of chips today because this guy is ripped. Like, you know that line from, I think it was Tropic Thunder when uh, Robert Downey Jr. is talking to Ben Stiller and he goes, you're more shredded than a julienne salad, man. That's how I feel when I look at uh, when I look at Michael B. Jordan without a shirt on. It's like, it's kind of wrong. Don't you think? It's kind of, it shouldn't be that shredded. No one should be that jacked. But anyways, he is. And uh, again, the like I said, your mileage may vary for this movie because it's nothing special. It is simply that it is a generic kind of fine action movie, right? But as I mentioned, it's the Iron Man of the Ryanverse because after the credits, there is an after credit scene. He basically meets Jamie Bell's character. Ritter, I think his name was. Very generic name. And uh, basically introduces himself as the MCU and says he wants to create like a six-person uh, like task force that answers only to a certain person. He wants to present it to the president. People of all different nationalities and and ethnicities and all from all over the world. The best of the best of the best. Joint with the UK and whatever. Right? Like he wants to create some elite task force and he wants to call it Rainbow. So a six-person group codenamed Rainbow. Rainbow Six, right? He, you be, it was the exact same scene at the end of Iron Man 1 where Nick Fury comes out to Tony Stark and he says, I want to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. As soon as... I don't know anything about Tom Glancy. As soon as Michael B. Jordan says... Uh, I'm going to call it Rainbow. You think, yeah, Rainbow Six, like the, one of the more famous video game franchises ever, right? And I mean, look, I, I like video games a lot. I play a lot of video games. Um, I, we just talked about it with Mortal Kombat, right? So I'm aware of the Rainbow Six franchise. But man, it was like, even for me, a non-fan of the whole thing, I thought to myself, eh, really? This is the way they're going to do it? Like, really? It just felt kind of... I don't know. Not that not that it felt unearned because you have to start somewhere, but it just felt kind of like ham-fisted, right? Like you know that that famous line from Suicide Squad where Will Smith goes, "So what are we? Some kind of Suicide Squad?" That's kind of what it felt like, right? He may have well said, "So I guess we're gonna be the Rainbow Six, huh?" <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed kind of comical. I remember watching it with my roommate. And we both just laughed out loud because of how, like like I said, of how ham-fisted it was, right? But look, without remorse, I genuinely did enjoy watching it. It had some cool moments. Um, it, it kind of inspired some dread, especially when, like, he's underwater and it looks like he might drown. I never really – it always makes me feel very claustrophobic. So I guess they uh, they accomplished what they were set out to do, right? Um, but, oh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's generic. If Michael B. Jordan wasn't in it. If it didn't have the Tom Clancy uh, title on it, there'd be no reason for you to watch it, right? There'd be absolutely no reason. I also got to say, I've never watched the uh, John Krasinski, Jack Ryan series on Amazon. I know I mentioned the other Jack Ryans. I was saving him for the end because uh, I, I would imagine, based on how what I've heard of that show, that uh, you know John a John Krasinski 
and Michael B. Jordan crossover something or other is in the works at some point because I think they have already said the sequel to Without Remorse, whatever the hell it's called, is actually underway again with Michael B. Jordan. So I would imagine that Amazon, I guess, has some kind of deal with the Tom Clancy. I don't know if he's still alive, actually, but the Tom Clancy estate or something like that. And they're, like I said, they're on their way to creating like the Ryan verse series of movies and television shows. So, hey, look. Kudos to them. If they create a franchise and it works for them, good for them, right? I mean, we can get into a larger conversation at a later date about whether or not being in a franchise is good and whether or not the constant attempts to make franchises are good for the film industry and television industry too, I suppose. But that's a, that's a conversation for another day. If, as far as the review of uh, Without Remorse goes, yeah, again, largely fine. If you like the source material, you will probably hate this because I went to the Wikipedia entry, and it is nothing like the <laughs> like the book. It is like I would say, judging on my again my read of the Wikipedia entry for the original book, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, I would say the only similarity is that they just reused some of the character names. As far as I can tell, nothing about this movie is similar to the book. So, if you liked the book. Uh, Probably don't watch this because you will be disappointed if you wanted to see a straight adaptation. But again, as far as actual action movies go, yeah, it's fine. That's it for me on this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you for listening. Always a pleasure discussing movies with you. I hope we uh, had some fun talking about the action movies that have been coming out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun watching and kind of catching up on some non-prestige movies, I guess. And look, that that doesn't make these movies any less than, right? I just think they're they're for, for a different crowd, perhaps. I will say, I've always hated, and I'll get on my soapbox here for a little bit. I've always hated that there are people out there who look down their noses on those who enjoy action movies or those who enjoy superhero movies. I think like liking silly movies and liking serious movies alike you know it's not you can it's not mutually exclusive right you can have both you can like both kinds of movies okay you can like all movies you can like d tier schlock and you can like the best picture winner and you know you may not like both but liking either or doesn't make you less than right that's always been something like an aspect of not film criticism, I suppose, but just people who like interact with movies. It kind of annoys me. I gotta say, I've seen a lot of people online, especially after Martin Scorsese came out and said, "Yeah, Marvel movies are roller coasters. They're not really films. They're like theme park rides." Right? Look, he's probably right. He's probably right. I, I'm not going to entirely disagree with Martin Scorsese because I think they are designed to give you a thrill and play to your emotions and give you fan service. Right? But that doesn't make them. Like, that doesn't make your enjoyment of it any less than someone else's enjoyment of Nomadland or anyone else's enjoyment of Parasite. I just I just think that has always really, really bothered me. And it's just, look, if you like movies, let other people who like movies enjoy them, right? If you want to have a conversation about Disney owning, what, like 40% of Hollywood and how that's bad for the creation of art, that's a valid conversation to have. But I don't. I, at the same time, I do not think it's a negative thing that people can cheer for seeing the Fantastic Four logo when Marvel did that sizzle reel the other day, right? They did that as it was like a celebration of going back to the movies. And um, you know what? Why don't I just play a little bit for you uh, right here? You just, I'll just play the little bit of a voiceover from Stan Lee. I love being with people. It's the most incredible thing in the world. What are you doing? Oh, this is nice. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change, we're all part of one big family. 
And yeah, I mean, you're, you're listening to this. It's not a YouTube channel or anything, right? But as you're listening to this, if you go out and watch that, the it kind of says, like, it, it kind of gets you hyped for the movies. And there was, like, a little bit later on, there's, like, a like a shot from the audience, I guess, uh, shot, I suppose, right, uh, of uh, people, the big reveal, not reveal, I suppose, but when Captain America gets, quote-unquote, saved when when uh, Sam comes back and he says on your left and all the heroes come back to life and then the big climactic battle of Endgame happens and you know if you if you saw that movie chances are especially if you saw it on opening night chances are the audience cheered the audience clapped right and I think the whole the whole thing is I think engineered to again play to your emotions and get you excited about going back to the theaters and look I can get on board with the idea that Marvel movies are roller coasters and theme park rides I can absolutely I understand that but at the same time. I can also get excited for going back to the movies and recognizing that seeing Marvel movies in the theater give me a, a particular thrill that some other movies don't, right? That doesn't make that any less than, I guess, right? If you like if you like some a movie that you think was snubbed for an Oscar and you like a Marvel movie and you like this and you like that, it's all the same. It's all the same. You're all if 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 that's if that describes five different people, you're all movie lovers. I would still call every I would still lump you all in a group and say you're all movie lovers, right? So Anyways, that's my little soapbox rant. I hope, I hope, you, I hope if you listen to this podcast, you are, at least have an open mind about movies and the way you interact with movies, right? I hope, I hope you go from the very heights of film and the way they are awarded and the best performances of the year to the smallest indie movies. And maybe I don't cover enough indie movies on this podcast, but I really think that if it's a movie, it's a movie it's a movie and you can enjoy it all the same right so that that's how i'll end this episode of the showtime movie podcast my little rant about how people interact with film uh, on the next episode i'm not sure what we'll do i gotta say i'm not sure there was an animated film the mitchells versus the machines which is made by the same team or part of the same team that was behind uh into the spider verse Seems like it's an original film. I saw the trailer. Uh, I believe it's a Netflix movie. So either way, maybe we'll, we'll we'll do that on the next episode. We'll see what else comes out in the next couple of weeks because we're starting to get into the period of the year where we might be getting a little more blockbusters, right? In in the Heights, which is that uh, new musical. I guess it was the original musical that Lin Manuel Miranda wrote, and now that he is more famous because of Hamilton, he's getting it made into an actual movie directed by John Chu, the guy who directed uh, Crazy Rich Asians. So maybe we'll talk about a musical. I'm not sure we've done that uh, really at all. Have we done that at all? I'm not sure. And um, next month, I want to say the anniversary of the podcast is coming up. I think the fourth anniversary of the podcast, which I have pretty much glossed over every single year, which is crazy to think. So we'll do a lot of stuff in the next couple of weeks. But for now... I appreciate you all listening so, so much. I love talking about movies with you. That's it for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. I hope you all stay safe out there. Get your vaccines soon if you want them. But until next time, have a great night. Fatality.